Our scripture reading comes to us from Luke 24, 13 to 27. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus threw himself, Jesus, together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleophas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the things that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of the Lord. Christ is risen. Good morning. My name's Mike Stroh. I'm one of the pastors here. Let me add my word of welcome to everyone on this joyful Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday. It's wonderful to be gathered together in celebration of the resurrection of our Savior. If you have a Bible, you can turn to that passage that we just heard read in Luke chapter 24. Thank you, Cheryl, for reading that passage for us. Thank you, music team, for guiding us into worship as we uh, turn our hearts now to God's Word. You remember... Uh, images like this. These are called, uh, any other 90s kids out there? These are called auto stereograms. The first one was created in 1991. It spawned a series of books called Magic Eye, and then there was some other uh, spin-offs or rip-offs. Uh, if you've never seen one of these, it's a two-dimensional image uh, with a 3D image hidden inside. Uh, most people first learn to see them by holding the image that you'd have in a in book or on paper. You hold it, have you ever seen anybody do this? looks really cool. You, you hold it right up to your face and you kind of slowly, slowly pull it back. Or if you're really good at it, you can just sort of cross your eyes and then the image just sort of pops. How many of you see this image? Any, okay, I see a hand. I see a couple hands. Y'all being honest, what is it? Camel. 
That's right. Camel. Ah, ah, ah. Hey, try again. Kind of cross your eyes. Give it a second. It's not easy. It's not easy. So you get bonus points if you see it. Okay, how about, how about this one? Let me see if I can do this. Who's got it? Who's got it? What is it? Whale? Is that what I heard? What? Yes, it's a flower. I just have to take my word for it. It's a flower. <laughs> what about this one? Last one. Any kids see this? Some of you guys are really good at crossing your eyes. So it's a dolphin. This last one. Clearly, come on, guys, it's a dolphin. Some people, maybe most of us, really struggle to see these at all. Now, this is unfair because it's a lot easier to see it on paper in front of you. It's a lot easier to sort of pull it away from your face if you're holding it up. So this is a little bit unfair to make you all try to see it on the screen. But a lot of people really do struggle to see these. Some, they say, can't even see them at all, no matter how hard they try, especially if you don't have good depth perception. You might never be able to see these images. It can be frustrating to stare uh, at an image like this, and you're welcome for that, by the way. Uh, Knowing there's something there, but you can't see it, no matter how hard you try. And sometimes we look at our lives, we look at our life circumstances, we look at the world around us, and we see something, we want to believe that there's something that makes sense of it all, some way that it fits together in God's plan, but it just looks to us like a jumbled mess. We can't make sense of what God is doing. Well, this was definitely the case for the disciples at this point uh, before they knew that he rose from the dead. After his crucifixion, I mean, just think about it. They had left everything to follow this one who they thought was the Messiah, the one who would rescue God's people. But then he was betrayed, he was crucified, he was buried. And this awful finality, so it seemed. They were confused. They were devastated. Their hopes were dashed. None of it made sense. And then, three days later, they heard some very strange reports that the tomb was empty. Some even claimed to have seen Jesus or at least some angels, but they still couldn't make sense of anything. Now, it's easy for us who have the whole Scriptures It's easy for us as believers in Christ, who our faith really rests on the resurrection, to look back, because we see the whole picture and wonder why maybe they didn't, but they didn't see it clearly right away. Until the risen Christ started showing up in their midst, started slowly revealing a little more of the picture, and then their eyes were opened and they saw Him. Now, if you've tracked with us through this week, through Holy Week. We have walked with Jesus and His disciples through His passion. We've walked with Him to the Last Supper and then to the cross. And this morning, we reach the climax of Holy Week and we follow Jesus and His disciples to the empty tomb. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and I don't know what is in your mind, what's in your heart right now, maybe what you're carrying from this past week. Maybe there's a grief that you're, you're in mourning Maybe there's some confusion, there's some 
worries that are on your heart. You have your own sort of jumbled set of circumstances. You just don't see or understand what God is doing or allowing in your life. And to what I think is most of us in this room who struggle to see that image on the screen, that's okay because in the spiritual life, we're actually not supposed to see the whole picture. That's above, that's above our pay grade. As Luke unfolds more of the gospel story for us, when we'll see that we can trust Jesus. We can have hope no matter what the picture looks like because the risen Christ still moves among his people. Let's pray as we turn to this passage. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, for his death and his burial. And this morning, we thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ because of the resurrection. And so no matter what is on our hearts and minds today, Father, would you anchor us in this truth that Jesus is alive? And it's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. So I invite you to, to look at Luke chapter 24 if you have a Bible or you're on your phone. Luke chapter 24. We'll just get a little bit of the context here at the beginning of the chapter and then we'll move a little bit further in the passage. So the, this is the early morning of the third day uh, where Luke starts in chapter 24. The women, many of the women disciples, they go to the tomb, they find it empty. We know that most of us know the story. They heard from angels that he had risen. Don't look here, he's not here, he's risen. Look at verse 10. We'll get a little more of the context. Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He's marveling, but he still doesn't really fully see the picture, does he? Despite Jesus repeatedly telling them what was going to happen, despite this report from several women disciples, the rest of them, the apostles even, didn't believe it. And maybe their hearts had been so broken that they refused to get their hopes up again. Maybe you've experienced something like that in your life. You're hesitant to allow any more hope back into your heart. And now Luke takes us into one of the most amazing parts of this whole narrative, probably my favorite passage in all of Luke's gospel. It's so beautifully told. It's full of a range of drama and emotions from sorrow, even despair, confusion, to overwhelming joy. The picture starts out for these disciples as a real jumbled mess. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then slowly as Jesus meets his people, as he speaks with them, and as he ministers to them, the picture slowly becomes clear. So let's now look at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Stop right there for just a second. Luke says two of the larger group of disciples. These are not two of the 12. They're not two of the apostles, but part of the larger group of disciples. They're on a walk uh, toward a village called Emmaus. Now, he doesn't name these two disciples right away. A little bit later in the passage, he names, the, he names one of them Cleopas. And we don't really know who this is. John chapter 19 mentions a Clopas that actually might be the same guy. It mentions a Mary, wife of Clopas, who was standing near the cross. And so some people wonder if maybe this is the same Clopas, and maybe this other disciple he's walking with is his wife Mary. We don't know. 
But these two witnesses, two witnesses, if you know, were legally uh, needed to verify a report in the ancient world, especially in Judaism. And so Luke is sure to mention there were two of them that saw what was about to happen. And notice what they're talking about along the road. Luke says all these things that had happened. If you've been with us for these Holy Week services, if you know the gospel story, yeah, that's what they've been talking about, all of it. And now these strange reports of an empty tomb, all these things coming together, just a jumbled mess of confusion and hope and despair. They couldn't make sense of it. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I love how casually Luke just slips this in. Jesus caught up with them, started walking with them on the road. The same Jesus who was just killed and buried, Jesus shows up and they don't know it's him. You wonder if Jesus was wearing one of those glasses and mustache disguises. Jesus is now in his resurrected form. Maybe he changed his appearance somehow supernaturally. We don't know. But Luke says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And we'll see later that their eyes were open. Both of those verbs are passive. In other words, God's doing this. God is temporarily veiling their sight and showing them more of the picture in his time and in his way. And that's really important for us as we think about the way that God works still among his people. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor, visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? What's been going on in Jerusalem? What's the latest? You've got to know Jesus is having a little fun here with his disciples. What? Tell me, guys, what's going on? But he's not toying with them. Notice they stood still in verse 17 looking sad. They stopped walking when he asked them. They were so overcome with emotion, with sadness. He sees their sadness and he wants to hear it from them. Don't miss that. He wants them to share what's heavy on their heart. Jesus knows it all, obviously. He was there, remember. But he draws near to them in their pain, in their sorrow, in their confusion, just like he does with us. He draws near to us in our pain. He invites us to pour out our hearts to him. He has just carried the weight of sin the weight of death on his shoulders, and so he knows what we are feeling. Can you see his face? Though they can't recognize yet who it is, can you see the love in Jesus' eyes in this moment for these two heartbroken disciples along the road? Look at verse 19. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Don't miss that. We had hoped. We had hoped. There is so much pain in those three little words, isn't there? We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Notice they call him a prophet, mighty in word and in deed. Notice, though, they don't say Messiah, Son of God, Lord. Maybe he was just one of the prophets. As one commentator notes, even if Jesus' star had risen higher than some of, his, some of the other prophets, 
His death by crucifixion made his demise all the more bitter, all the more final. We had hoped, and now their hopes are gone. We had hoped is what these disciples were feeling, but this we here really takes up the whole nation of Israel. They're longing for Messiah. And even bigger, the we takes up all of humanity. Whether we realize it, whether we know it or not, are longing for God to step in and make all things right. We had hoped. What's heavy on your heart this morning? What's your we had hoped? What's your I had hoped? You fill in the blank. I had hoped. I needed God to show up and do this or that in my life, and now, because He didn't, all hope is lost. He didn't meet my expectations. Maybe He's not good. Maybe He's not loving after all. And so as the risen Christ draws near to each of us on our journey, individually, our journeys as a family, as families, our journey as a church family. He asks, what, what things? Tell me what things are on your heart. Open your heart to me because I'm walking with you in your pain. And they go on in verse 21. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. These disciples had a whole lot of information, didn't they? But they can't piece it all together. They don't see how it fits. As is the case usually with us, it's not more information that we need. It's not more facts that we need, but it's the presence of Jesus to open our hearts to the information that we already have, the truth that God wants to reveal to us. Luke just must love the irony here. As James Edwards writes, the living disciples talk here about a dead Jesus while a living Jesus speaks with these lifeless disciples. Now look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now notice he doesn't say, you slow of mind. Shame on you guys for not figuring all this out, for putting all the pieces together, for not having all your messianic prophecy charts laid out perfectly to crack the code. What does he say? He says, slow of heart to believe. So often our issue is not that we need more information from God, but we need the faith to believe what God has already put right in front of us. Our root problem is not a lack of information, but it's a lack of faith. A root problem is not a head problem, it's a heart problem. But Jesus doesn't condemn us for that. And even his correction here to these disciples, oh foolish ones, this is gentle. This is more of a lament, really, than a harsh rebuke. This oh foolish ones covers all Israel who had the scriptures, who had the prophecies of coming Messiah, and yet they failed to see. Because of a lack of faith, they failed to see how they pointed to Christ, particularly in his suffering. There are no pre-Christian Jewish writings that we still know of today 
that make the connection that Messiah would suffer. Not one. Despite the witness, of, the witness of Isaiah 53, so many other passages in the Old Testament, but Jesus says all the prophets pointed to him. And verse 27 is so incredible. Jesus took time to, to walk them through, as they're walking on the road, he took time to walk them through the whole Torah, opening their hearts and minds to read it rightly with him in the center. Jesus takes all the pieces of the image they had of Scripture, and they had a lot probably information about Scripture. They knew Scripture. He takes their, the picture that they had of Scripture and shows them, really, there was an image there all along that ties it all together. When you see it rightly, he just pops out. It's all about him. Of all the scenes in Scripture that we wish we could have witnessed, maybe this is on your list like it is mine. Wish we could have been here. Wish we could have just been a fellow traveler on the road that day to hear Jesus himself give this Bible interpretation 101 class, though I do imagine what he said to them is much of what we have in the rest of the New Testament. Like Paul and the author of Hebrews showing us how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all Scripture. But these two disciples, they get an early sneak preview. They get a private tutoring session that just blew their minds. But still, they don't recognize him. Still, their eyes have not yet been opened. They don't yet see the whole picture. Look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now they see. Now they see him. Finally, their eyes are open, and as soon as the veil is lifted and they see who it's been all along, he disappears. Giving them a few minutes to process everything. What had just happened to continue the discussion that they had started on the road, but now they see everything in this whole new light. The picture is becoming clear. Their hearts are burning within them. Their hope was returning as their hearts were opening. Even though they didn't at first know who this was, Luke is showing us the difference that the presence of Jesus makes with us. In verses 29 and 30, we see with us. We see with them, with them. It's repeated over and over again. The presence of Jesus Christ changes everything. The presence of a risen Savior. Now think about Cleopas and his lament it takes on new meaning. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, but they crucified him. Now it's they crucified him, and that's how he redeemed Israel. Now he's alive. And so they run back to tell the rest of the disciples to share the news. Verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Lord has risen indeed. What a change. Look at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. How do I know he said it like that? Verse 37. But they were startled and frightened. Jesus just jumps out, Peace to you. 
while they're in the middle of hearing this news, they're in shock, they're just starting to process this, and all of a sudden he jumps out. Peace. He's giving him a heart attack here. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Again, he goes right to their hearts. Why are you doubting in your heart? It's me. Touch me. See me. They're overwhelmed in this moment, and right as they're just sort of on that razor edge between despair and hope, between doubt and faith, he says, you guys have anything to eat around here? And they watch him. They're stunned. You can see the stunned look on their faces, the silence in this moment. Silent except for them hearing Jesus chewing on a piece of fish. The collision of the supernatural and the mundane. The risen Christ chewing on some fish. And so let's just read the rest of the next few verses, the rest of this passage, just to get our minds and hearts around the rest of the story. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now he shows them all what he had first shown to the two on the road. How all the scripture points to him and is fulfilled in him, in his death, burial, and resurrection. And with that picture, mind and heart, that they've just received, now they're ready to share it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he didn't redeem people only from one nation, but... He redeems all who put their trust in Him. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, hey, there's plenty of evidence that supports a resurrection, a bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago. The evidence is there if you want to go looking for it. The facts are there, the evidence is there, but primarily, again, this is a heart issue. And so the question is, are you, are you willing to not only open your mind but your heart to God and what He wants to do in your life. If you come to Jesus by faith, He will open your eyes to who He is, to your need for Him. He is alive now. So if you draw near to Jesus, He will draw near to you. And for every follower of Jesus, we can put ourselves in this story, just as we've tried to do all week long. We've entered the story. Christ meets us all on the road, along the road, where we're going, whatever we're carrying. Jesus comes alongside us, ready to listen. No matter what else is happening, he's ready to give his comfort, his hope, his love, his joy. Just like he said to these disciples, why are you troubled? It's me. And we can hear those same words today. 
He is alive, and so there is no cause for despair. The picture may be unclear or even look to us like a terrible mess, but we can trust Him that He's creating something beautiful. Out of all the jumbled colors, out of all the chaos in our hearts and our lives in the world, the risen Christ still moves among His people through His indwelling Spirit. And just like in this passage, it's so often in ways we can't perceive and we certainly can't understand. But he says to us, clearly, I'm alive and I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And that's enough. The presence of the risen Christ is all we need. And so if you struggle to make sense, to see what God is doing in your life, Be encouraged that you've got a God that's bigger than you. Be encouraged that you've got a God that's beyond your understanding. We can't see the whole picture. We're not meant to see the whole picture, but He does. And He invites us, those of us who are slow of heart, to believe, to trust Him, to know that because Jesus rose, there is hope. Because Jesus rose, He is at work for His glory and for our good. Would you pray with me? Almighty Father, who in your great mercy gladdened the disciples with the sight of the risen Lord, give us such knowledge of his presence with us that we may be strengthened and sustained by his risen life and serve you continually in righteousness and truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.